Right. Well, today we are continuing in a message series from the Prince of Egypt dealing with Moses, both the man and the myth. And if you have your Bibles there open on uh, Exodus chapter 3, go ahead and leave them there. But I am also going to be referring a little bit to Exodus chapter 4 because of how well connected these two are. So real quickly, let's just talk a little bit about where we've been, some of the lessons over the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the origin story of a nation, the Jewish boy that becomes the prince of Egypt, uh, God's will, my way was last week, and then today is burning bushes and second chances. And so there is truly an iconic image that comes from this passage of scripture that Jacob just read. And my goodness, hey, didn't Jacob do a great job? Can you imagine somebody handing you this? It's like the parasites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Amorites, you know, all of these different things. Not just once, but twice. And he did great. So, you know, I'm a terrible person for asking him to do that, but he killed it. He did a great job just like he did last week. So as we look at Exodus chapter 3, we see that Moses is on the backside of the desert. As a matter of fact, if we go back and kind of talk about God's will my way, we know that Moses kind of jumped in front of God, wanting to be that deliverer that God was probably stirring in his heart and even created him to be, but he was ready to do it his way and on his timetable rather than God's. And if you guys remember, we talked about Moses, and we've been talking a little bit about going deeper into his life, kind of the, the myth versus the real man. The truth of the matter is, is that Moses did something last week in our conversation, in our lesson and teaching that we can never condone. Even when you try to do something good and you want to do it for the right reasons, you simply can't do it the wrong way and then turn around and not see that God is displeased with it. But if you guys remember last week, I made the comment that might have not necessarily set really well with you, but I called Moses a man who committed first degree murder. And if you did not hear that, now you're hearing it for the first time, it might not sit real well with you because we think, oh, no, 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 that wasn't what happened. But if you go back and you read this passage of scripture, it talks about how Moses grew up and he was out where his own people were, that's the Hebrews they were, and they were watching their hard labor and an Egyptian begins to beat one of the Hebrews. And then the Bible tells us in chapter three, or chapter two, verse 12, he looked this way, and looked that way and then saw no one. And when he realized that he had a chance to get away with it, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And so we know very clearly there's a difference between first degree murder and second degree murder. And that is one is premeditated and one is the crime of passion, so to speak. And so we see here in Moses, the myth is, is that Moses is this great guy. He's incredible. He's, you know, kind of the, one of the stars of the show from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there's no doubt all of those chapters and all of those books literally talk about Moses and the things that he did for the nation of Israel. He was the one who in many ways led them to be a nation in the first place. But let's be very clear, this man was still a man. He is not a myth. He is a real man and he had a real problem with his anger. He never truly got control over that even though he gave his heart to the Lord, gave his, his uh, time to the Lord, and gave his life 
to go and do what God had called him to do, there were still some pieces of his life that were not yet turned over to become the man that God fully wanted him to be. We'll be talking about that over the next couple of weeks as well. But let's keep moving here, and I just want to tell you, as I shared with you last week, everybody's got a thing. <laughs> you go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and you read those first couple of verses, everybody's got a thing that they can't seem to get over and get past. I don't know what it is for you, um, I know what it is for me because I figured out real quickly that if I didn't tackle my thing, my thing was going to tackle me and I was going to be left with the pieces to be picked up. And so for you and for me, we all have one thing in our life that seems to be that besetting sin, that sin that just always has its hooks in us and always seems to control us. It's the bait that we just can't prevent ourselves from going after. And so everybody has a thing. Moses's was that his anger had hooks in him from day one all the way through the last of his life. And then I wanted to just share also, everybody faces something big in their life. And that usually happens in midlife, maybe somewhere between 35 and 45, because the truth is, is that so many things are going right in our lives. Uh, early on, often for us, we think, hey, this is great. I've got it all figured out. And then you realize that sometimes there are things that hit you that have nothing to do with your decisions or they're reaping what you've sown a long time ago and did not see coming and it just swamps you and, and, and changes everything for you. So these are two things that I've seen and this is exactly where we find Moses. Right at about the age of 40, he finds himself found out of being a murderer. And so he runs and he flees and he goes from being the prince of Egypt in the court of the Pharaoh to being a man who is on the run and is literally tending sheep on the backside of a desert somewhere. And so in the midst of all of that stuff, you might think God's done with him, he's screwed up, he's blown it, and there's no way that God can use him. The truth of the matter is, is that there's a long period of time that transpires from when Moses kills the Egyptian and from when Moses stands before the burning bush. And I don't know why it took so long for Moses to be a person who was ready to be used of God, but it did. God never rushes and he never hurries. He makes sure and hears clearly whenever we are truly ready. But here's what we know. Then when Moses is ready, God begins to speak and he says, I still have a work for you, even though you've given up on yourself, I've not yet given up on you. Now, real quickly, Everybody's got a thing and everybody has to face something, but I want to share this with you as well, and I want to go to our next slide. This is what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, through all of my years of studying biblical characters, I've not encountered a single episode of instant effectiveness for God. And in my own experience spanning more than 35 years of ministry, I cannot recall one believer who simply lifted off the runway and soared into the spiritual stratosphere, staying there until death. In other words... Just because you face something doesn't mean God is through with you or has washed his hands of you. And as a matter of fact, here's what I would share with you. The truth of the matter is, is that for some strange reason, God seems to use people who have been broken and broken down. Like, like they thought that they had the world by the tail, like Moses did. And then in some way, after years and years, and maybe even as long as 40 years in the desert, Moses finds himself broken down, probably physically, 
but 1,000% he's broken down emotionally and spiritually. And God says, now I'm ready to talk because now I know you're ready to listen. Isn't it strange what silence can do? <laughs> Makes you really start listening, doesn't it? I mean, when, when it feels like there's so much noise going on in your world and then suddenly things become quiet and still, it, it almost feels like you would think, oh, well, you know, the sound of silence is not really even gonna affect you, but when things stop and suddenly you realize it's been a minute, <laughs> In this situation, the words coming from the burning bush, the name Moses coming out of the burning bush had to have been, I don't even know what it must have felt like. Not just the visual of the burning bush that's not consumed, but hearing God say your name after you've already given up that God cared about you in the first place. And he calls out from the burning bush and says, Moses, Moses. And he stops and he's listening. And the only thing that he can muster is, here I am. Here I am. I, I got nothing to offer, but here I am. And in the midst of this, God says, I'm going to change the whole trajectory of your life. And it begins with this day. And I can't even imagine what it must have felt like for a man who thought he was forgotten and was heading nowhere and had turned his back on everything that was important and vital in his life, had thrown away everything that God had begun to use in his life, and suddenly he looks around and goes, are you telling me that God can still use me? Now, clearly, things are different in the scriptures I believe the scriptures are 100% true and the ages of these people that were in these early days, they, they lived longer. I can't go into all the reasons that it might be because I just simply do not fully know. It's a possibility that uh, there are things that God had in the earth and in our atmosphere that protected us and, and the aging process was somewhat accelerated after the flood. You can kind of go back and look at that, but here we see Moses standing and taking care of sheep at age 80, and God still has 40 years of usefulness that are happening in his life. There was a man who one time said, D.L. Moody once said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody. Then he spent the next 40 years in a desert learning he was nobody. And then he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God could do with a nobody. It is a powerful thing to really stop and think about. God has broken Moses down from all of the pride and all of the things that he thought he brought to the table because, after all, he was the prince of Egypt. He had the best education. He had power. He had influence. He had charisma. He had looks. He had everything that you could possibly desire to be a leader but the one thing that he did not have was dependence on the God who wanted to use him as a leader. 
And so he spent the next 40 years being broken down. And probably right when he thought, I can't go any lower, God said, no, no, there's more. And you go a little lower and you realize that there is nothing that I bring to the table with the God who has and owns everything. And so all you can do is just simply say, I come to you and offer all that I am, as small as that may be. And I can promise you when he hears the voice of God saying, Moses, he can't even believe that God even remembers his name. You guys with me? Y'all know what I'm saying? Now, let me ask you, have you ever gotten to the place where you think to yourself, God's not using me anymore, there's nothing, or I don't hear his voice anymore and there's no reason that he's calling my name. Maybe it used to be like that, but now I just don't feel that way anymore. God's not through with you. I want to keep moving here. Can God still use me? Well, David, King David was a murderer and an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. And yet later, God used her in the line of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. He even put her in the Hebrews 11 Faith Hall of Fame. The Apostle Paul persecuted the church even unto death. He tried to kill Christians. And God said, oh yeah, you know, you're killing the, the people that you're about to try to make other people become later. You're going to turn from the greatest enemy of the church to the greatest advocate of the church, and I'm going to do it all. And it's the Apostle Paul change. Can he still use me even though this is my past? The answer is clearly yes. And then Jonah was a racist against the people of Nineveh. He, he hated them with a the passion. And yet, he was used by God for the greatest revival that there ever was, over about 100,000 people, including animals and others as well, that all repented in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, why in the world would God use somebody like him? God just uses people who are broken, and Jonah was broken. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how God can still use you and still use me and why it matters to us. Let's keep moving here. And I just want to share this. Don't miss this. When God desires to do something through you, he almost begins with doing something in you first. That probably feels like refining, humbling, and revealing issues in your life that are there and have existed for a long time. And until you turn those over, God is probably just going to keep on working and keep moving that saw, keep moving that sandpaper in your life until that thing goes away and he can use you in a better way. Now, let me just say this real quick. If you've ever felt like you're on a treadmill where all you do is just seem to recycle the same issue and then wait a little while and it comes back and you do the same thing and you find yourself back in a loop and back in a loop and back in a loop, probably what's happening is this very thing. He keeps revealing the same issue to you, but instead of getting victory over it and turning it over fully to him, you just say, not yet, Lord, I'm not yet ready. And so all you do is you turn around and you take the same course all the way back around and then you find yourself back at spot A and you think to yourself, how come I never seem to get anywhere? Not easy to hear, but do you guys understand what I'm saying? Y'all hear what I'm saying? I offer this not in judgment because we've all been there. We've all done that. 
Some of us have even bought the t-shirt, <laughs> right? I mean, that's how much we're ensconced in this thing. But this is the truth and this is the hope that when we are on that loop, at least God is reminding us that he still has plans for us and still desires to use us. And it doesn't have to continue to just be a treadmill. It can be a breakthrough instead, but it is going to be hard. Whenever God calls to Moses, it's difficult, but he's doing something through him in a moment, but he's already done something in him first. Let's keep moving. And there's something to learn. According to Charles Swindoll, Moses' response interpreted here I am is just one word in the original Old Testament language of Hebrew. It basically was just the words, I'm here. No resume, no grand scheme, just a simple, I'm here. And I, I saw this and I thought this was pretty funny. And the older I get, the more I understand. But have you guys ever felt this way right here? Let's go to our next slide. I already feel like I'm tired for tomorrow already, right? Have y'all ever felt that way? If you got kids, you probably have already felt tired for tomorrow. Here's the truth. I can't imagine Moses thought, mm, one more day on the backside of the desert taking care of these sheep where nobody cares. No. He's not feeling alive. He's waking up day by day by drudging day. And instead, God said, but today is the day where you finally reach the point where you are usable and I'm going to make you feel alive again. And so instead of just a normal day that's happened over the last 39 years and 364 days, <laughs> the 365th happens and God says, Moses, Moses. And he's like, I'm so tired. I got one word for you. Here I am. You know, I'm here. It's one single word in Hebrew. And then God says, I know. And now I'm about to take you somewhere where you never thought you'd go. So let's keep moving here. And this is our big idea. God wants your heart and your hands for his work. And he wants them in that order. You guys understand what I'm saying? He wants your heart and your hands. But he wants them in that order. He wants to start with your heart. And then he wants to use your hands for his purpose. Now, I'm going to stop for just a second and slow down here. Because for many of us, we think when we give God these, that we've given him this. And that's not true. For some of us, we've given him this, but we've never given him these. Those of you who are listening on the podcast later, trust me, this is perfect. It's, it's making perfect sense. It makes no sense to you now. But yes, you understand you want to give him just your heart or you want to give him just your hands. But the truth of the matter is, is he wants your heart first and then he wants your hands. But if we think we give him one and we've reached the finish line, we will always feel incomplete. You guys understand what I'm saying and what I'm driving at? For many of you, you have given God your heart and it is truly what you feel in your heart. It is something that means so much to you and yet you've never actually rolled up your sleeves and done a thing for the Lord. You've never shared with anyone. You've never blessed anyone. You've never served anyone. And it feels like good, but then it kind of fades. And then it's, it feels good again, and then it kind of fades. Or you've given him your hands because you know that's what good people do. And in the process of it all, you, you do it, but instead of feeling like it's an offering to the one who never 
never forgets and always, always sees and always rewards. It feels like it's a drudgery and you got to keep doing it and you got to keep doing it because other people are expecting it, but it never feels like it comes from your heart. It feels like it comes from obligation. And so you see how both of them start to feel empty after a little while? So God wants your heart so that you will engage with him, but he also wants your hand so you can be used in his plan. And when God calls to Moses from the midst of the burning bush, he doesn't just bring him back home spiritually, he sends him back out and has a thing for him to do in his work that will change everything having to do with God's kingdom. And he uses Moses, the man who should be used up and forgotten, and he uses him instead in amazing, amazing ways. So what God, let's go to our next slide here very quickly, and what does God have for me? I would just simply ask these questions, and I want to ask them very quickly. Who can I bless? How can I be a blessing to them? And then third, how can I grow to bless others? And I wrote down both external and internal preparation. In other words, for many of us, we want to bless many more, many more, many more. But we never do the internal work to make ourselves dependent on God. Or we never do the external work of actually preparing ourselves and being that thing that God can use as a tool. So what does God have for me? You just simply ask these questions. And let me just say, if you leave this place today knowing that God wants your heart and your hands and committing that you will give him both your heart and your hands, you can begin giving him your hands today by saying, who can I bless? And how can I be a blessing to them? And then asking yourself later, how can I grow to be a blessing to other people as well? And suddenly you begin to be on a path where God is using you. And I wanna just point something out to you very quickly. Most of us never get here because of the next slide, and I just want to want to go a little deeper, we're attempting to impress, but not to bless. You guys understand what I'm saying? If we're attempting to impress, we're always going to fall flat. But if we are attempting to bless, then we will always make an impact if God is working in us in that way. God calls Moses through the burning bush. And I just want to read these passages of scripture that are familiar to you from the stories. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And very quickly, let me just mention that angel of the Lord, I believe, is an appearance of Christ before the New Testament comes. I'll share with you just very quickly a little thing that you can go a little deeper in just a moment. But the angel of the Lord appears to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and I'll see this strange sight why the bush doesn't burn up. And then when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God himself calls to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. The angel of the Lord here in scripture, many Bible scholars believe that's a pre-incarnation experience and appearance of Jesus on the scene. I believe the same way. And you can go to this next slide and see if you're interested, you can go a little deeper about who is the angel of the Lord. But if you see this passage of scripture, the Bible tells us that the Lord himself is speaking through that angel of the Lord. And you can go a little deeper as well where there's receiving of worship, whereas angels don't do that. And we go on and on. But very quickly, you just see this. 
And so God says those famous words, do not come any closer, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You guys remember that, right? You remember that story. And then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I want to go to our next slide and I want to share something with you. You may have never thought about it in this way. Whenever you hear, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you hear that all throughout the scriptures. And so you think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they must have been amazing people. But do you read the Bible? Do you, do you know? Have you, have you gone back to Genesis and looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How many of y'all know that these weren't always the best guys? Can I get an amen? I mean, Abraham had a little problem with the truth. Also had a problem with waiting on God for doing what he promised. Isaac and Jacob also had problems similar. And what about Jacob, the man who was named um, the deceiver? That's what Jacob meant. Don't tell Jacob our intern. He's a great guy. He is not a deceiver. He's a terrific guy. So that name Jacob meant deceiver. God took him and said, you know what? You've stolen your brother's birthright. You stole the inheritance that belonged to him. And you did it by fooling your blind father when he couldn't help himself. Like, that doesn't sound like the kind of guy that you want to build a nation of God's people on, does it? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of these people who have failed and fallen short, and yet still, they're mine, and I'm using them. Whenever we read the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we think we're dealing with the starting lineup of Bible superstars. These are the heavy hitters. It's as if these men were floating through life in a bubble, never soiling their feet by walking on dirty ground, but that's not so. If you ever do a study on their lives, these men were people just like us. And then he goes on and he says, yeah, their names are in the Bible, but each one of these men had broken wings just like we do. Had it not been for God's grace, not one of them would have accomplished anything worth remembering. So God is saying, in effect, Moses, I'm the God of men who have failed and I'm the God of ordinary men who have accomplished extraordinary things in their lives. So for you and for me, we are reminded that God is able at all times to use us if we will allow him to do that. Let's go to our next slide. Don't miss this. God speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days to accomplish extraordinary things. He changes everything for Moses in this moment. Now, let's go to that second famous phrase that we read of this passage of scripture as we read through it. Let's go to this one. He says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Moses says, well, God, how will they even know that you have sent me? And God says, say to them, I am who I am has sent you. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And so in other words, he's calling out, I'm going to tell you who I am and I'm going to declare who I am to you. And when they hear that name, they will know that it is me. Very quickly, this other something to learn, when God refers to himself as I am who I am, God is speaking of both his pre-existence as well as his all-powerful nature. In other words, I am who I am 
No one is going to be able to compel me to change. And it could also be translated, I will be what I will be. In other words, God is the standard and he's the only standard that we have in our world. And he is the one who sets the standard, not our modern day, not those people who choose whatever they might choose. It is God that sets the standard. Now, I want to just share a couple of things with you. Let's go to don't miss this. Let's go, not the next slide, but the next, if you don't mind. Notice this. God's will done God's way means that he is working on both sides of the equation and he will be the one who gets the glory. Do you guys remember what happens when Moses hears him? He says, Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. And he says, Lord, that's a great idea because I've really got a lot to offer. Is that what he said? No. He says, God, are you sure? Like, it's not even me that you want to send. Send someone else who's more qualified. Send someone else who's a better speaker. Send someone else, Lord. In every way, he's begging God to not send me, but to send someone else. And he says, no, 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 I'm sending you. He says, well, what if they don't believe me? Do you guys remember what happens? This is the New Texas version. God says, what do you got in your hand? And he says, well, I, I just got this old stick and this staff that I've been using out here on the, sheep, on the sheep out here as a shepherd. He says, throw it on the ground. So he throws it on the ground. And what does it do? It becomes a snake. And the miracle of miracles, if it were me, God says, pick it up by the tail. And I'd be like, no, 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 that's never happening. I would never do that. But he reaches down and he picks up the staff that became a snake and it turns back into a staff. And he's like, that's awesome. That's amazing. But what if they still don't believe? And God said, no, no, I've got something else for you. Take your hand and stick it inside of your cloak and then withdraw it. And Moses did it. And as he did, it was leprous. It was white as snow. The, he became healthy to diseased and then diseased to healthy, and it was all instantaneous. It happened like that. And God said, if you show them this, they will know that you came from me and that you come bearing my power. And then some interesting things said. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, um, but I've never been eloquent, neither the past or any of the time that I've ever been alive. I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. In other words, I'm not feeling real confident and I don't do public speaking real well. The Lord says, but who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not me? If I gave you a mouth, I figure I can probably use it for my kingdom and my glory. So that's what I'm going to do. And then Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Y'all hear? Moses is like, I know I shouldn't be saying this, but pardon your servant, Lord. He gives him things. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to work in this way. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to give you these signs. I'm going to do all of these things. And then finally, Moses is out of excuses. And what does he say in chapter 4, verse 13? Pardon your servant, Lord. Please just send someone else. <laughs> Like, Lord, I got no more excuses. Now I'm just falling on your mercy. Just please send someone else because I just don't feel like I can do this. I'm nervous. I'm scared. Interestingly, God says, no, I, I'm sending you. So let's go to the things that we see doing God's will, God's way. When we do God's will, God's way, 
It means he's working on both sides of the equation, and he is also the one who is going to get the glory. Check this out. Moses, or the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So we went and met Moses at the Mount of God, and he kissed him. And then Moses told Aaron, Aaron is his brother, by the way. Aaron told, uh, Moses told everything uh, to Aaron that the Lord had sent him to say. And he's just about the sign that he is commanding him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all of the elders of the Israelites. And then Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. And he performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and what? Worshiped. Everything changes because God has not just prepared Aaron, prepared Moses, but also prepared the hearts of everyone that he's about to speak to. In the midst of all that's going on right here and right now, God's at work and he is calling Moses from a life of obscurity to a life of usefulness. Moses is resisting, and yet it's the very thing that is going to change his life and change his legacy. Now listen up. If you have been going through life and you are on the treadmill, if you have been going through life and you don't see or sense the things that God is doing in your life and through your life. I believe that there are times where God will call to you and it will almost catch you by absolute surprise where something just can't be explained as anything except for God doing something to remind you that he is doing something in your life. A burning bush that doesn't get consumed something that happens that draws your attention away from all the hecticness and all the busyness and all the daily grind, and then you turn and God speaks to your heart. The craziest thing is, is that for some of us, we want to resist it because we're afraid of change and we're afraid of growth and we're afraid of failure and a lot of other things that we are afraid of. But in the midst of all of that, it is the very thing that makes you finally feel this is what I was made for. Doesn't mean it will be easy. Doesn't mean it will be something that you figure out every time the first time. But ultimately you will know and sense that God is doing something to bring you from death to life. He's bringing you from being a person who's going through the motions to being a person who's actually excited about the things that are happening in your life. And can I just say something? I just wanna, I wanna point this out to us. In our world right now, ever since COVID hit, it feels like so many people, including God's people, are on autopilot and they know it, but they can't seem to break free from it. We've gotten to the place where we're not giving God our whole self. We're giving him pieces and parts and fits and starts. And I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I guess it just did, right? But this is the truth. It's like a little bit and then we don't. And then we, yes, we will and not, not, not yet. And yeah, I'm going to do this and stick with it. And then maybe I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to pull back. The truth of the matter is, is that until we give and say, God, I'm in with what you are doing in my life, we're always going to be stuck. And I just want us 
all to experience something that is different than what we are allowing ourselves to settle for. Can I get a single amen in the house this morning? I mean, one single amen in the house. Because you know, I'm talking to you. I'm saying it to you because you are in and then you're out. And then you're up and then you're down. And then you're yes and then you're no. And then you're back and forth constantly. And you're just never going to have that feeling of passion and power and really grasping that God is working in your life because you're so busy doing you that you can't do anything for God. So I just encourage you, man, like let's stop going through the motions and let's let God work in a powerful way in our life. And I keep talking about this. I keep talking about this because this is, I think, what God is showing me in the midst of Moses' life, that ultimately Moses changed his world, beginning in a small way and then rippling outward. And for you and for me, I'm not talking about let's go change the world. Let's make sure this happens in the state. I'm not talking about that. But let's make sure this is happening in your world with your people. Let's then let it go out a little further and let's let God use a little bit more. And let's become more and more of what God would have us to be. And you never know where that next thing, that next step ripples outward to make a difference for God's kingdom work. But it all begins with us saying yes to whatever it is that he's doing in me right now and through me later. And so it begins in this way that we give ourselves to him fully, wholly, and totally, and then we let him be the one who steers us even when we're afraid. You guys understand what I'm saying? This is where Moses is, and this is how everything changes in his life. All right, I am just about done. So here's what I'm gonna share with you. It's God's will and it's God's way. And that's how everything changes in our lives. Let's go to our next slide. A big question. What would it take for you to slow down, turn aside from your own plan, and turn fully to participate in God's plan for your life? What would it take for you and for me to say, you know what? My plans have been front burner for too long. And all it's gotten me is this feeling of drudgery and existence rather than thriving. And I'm not going to keep going down my plan any longer, but I'm going to shift and I'm going to just expectantly wait to hear from God. And when he shows up and shows something that can't be something else, and it's got to be him, I'm going to move towards him instead of finding reasons to move away. I think the list of the reasons that we move away go on and on. But I would just remind you that every one of those, they were challenged by God and turned away and they changed whenever God said, enough is enough is enough. Follow me and do as I share with you to do. Moses agrees and is never the same. And to be honest, the world is never the same as well. How do you apply this message? I think you can begin this week by just making one small move to be that blessing where you know God is a place to use your preparation. That's your experience, your gifts, your burdens, and your growth. Just go out there and be one small blessing this week. Don't let this entire week go by without turning and looking around and going, you know, there's somebody I can be a blessing to, and this is how I can do it. And then do that. And as you do, notice this, that whenever we are a blessing in Jesus' name, 
whenever we are a person who's doing kingdom work for kingdom glory, then we turn around and we go, hmm, (laughs) yeah, that feels different. That's not the same as what it's always been. And we begin to notice that God is invigorating us and enlivening us with the power of his Holy Spirit and things begin to change and it begins with a change in us. So I encourage you, just one thing this week and then next week we can do it again. I wanna just share something with you very quickly and I wanna put up this image. It's a, a woman by the name of Nicole Nordeman. She is a Christian singer and at the time of the writing of her song called Slow Down, she was a single mother. This is her son, Charlie, and her daughter named Pepper. And she wrote a song the night before Charlie's fifth grade graduation. It had been seen back in 2016 over 25 million times. I don't know how many it's been seen since then. But the whole point is, is that she was experiencing something. She sat down at her piano and started thinking about her son and what song she would sing at his graduation. She said the Lord laid something on her heart and within an hour she had written a song that has been seen millions and millions and millions of times. Here's what she wrote as the subtitle and as the heading for the the social media post that gave folks, the opportunity to hear this song. She says, I don't know of a more uttered and whispered phrase from a mother of any age about her child of any age than it's going by too fast. I feel like I'm spending my whole life trying just to slow time. I'm trying to celebrate growth and milestones of my kids and then secretly daydreaming about building a time machine in my garage so I can return to the rocking of my babies at midnight. If you've ever looked at your child running across a field, striding across a graduation stage, or walking down the middle aisle of a church clutching a bouquet, you know why this song is special to me. Please enjoy the video remembering the moments that we wish that we could just simply slow down. I love the fact that as she writes these words, you can kind of understand exactly where she's coming from. And here is what I would say. It's not just simply about your kids. It's not just simply about those things that you'd love to experience. The truth is, is that for most of us, our life is going by so fast that we're missing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be a blessing as well as to hear from God and what he has to share with us. But do you notice as Moses is doing his daily thing for for, for 39 years and 364 days, He finally hears from God and when he does, he turns and he pays attention to that thing that he could have just walked right by. You guys understand what I'm saying? He literally could have just walked right by that bush but God was in that thing that caught and captured his attention and changed the entire course not only of his life but the life of millions of people ever since. That's how powerful one word from God can be. But the craziest thing about it all is that that's the power of God, but it's also the choice that he gives every one of us. 
partner with him or to just keep walking? I fear that too many Christians in our world are not interested in partnering. We're just interested in keeping on walking. Don't let that be you. Heavenly Father, don't let it be me. Don't let me be the one who just simply walks by when you are trying to grab and grasp for my attention, Lord, may I give you the one who has given me life, the one who has given me my life and everything that I love about it. May I not just simply walk by acting like that's the thing that keeps me too busy to honor the one who gave it to me in the first place. God, let it not be me. Let it not be us. Let it not be your people who are called by your name. But instead, may we give you those things which you are due and honor you in the way that you should be honored. The all-powerful, pre-existing God who has always been and always will be and yet cares about somebody as small and insignificant as any one of us. God, what an amazing gift you give us. This day, Lord, may we honor you with our lives. May we be the blessing that you want us to be. May we give to you those things that you have given us. May we be those people you want us to be. May you work in us, and then, Lord, turn and work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. So very quickly before we end our time together, I'm going to ask you if you would just for a moment in the quietness of the moment, if you know that the Lord is speaking in your heart, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, but I am going to ask you to pray and ask you to speak to the Lord and give him permission to distract you from all the distractions, to capture your attention and give him your undivided attention and listen to his voice. And Lord, we thank you that you are still calling us, not because of our worthiness, but because of your great love. Use us, Lord, for your purpose and draw us into those things that you are doing in your world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.